my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. A pastor to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you again. This week we're taking as our theme, the moral law in the third millennium. And today we ask, how did Christ regard the moral law? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Um, happy autumn. Happy autumn. We're into it, and it's hit us with a uh, with an abundance of, of cool air, hasn't uh, it? 20.9 degrees at the moment here in Adelaide, so hopefully wherever you're listening from across Australia, it's bright, it's sunny, and it's full of life. How did you enjoy the, uh, uh, the long weekend uh, here in South Oz? Yeah, look, uh, it was really good. We went for a walk, uh, some foothills just above Adelaide, some oh, lovely. Uh, overlooking Adelaide on, on the Saturday and Sunday and Monday, home renos and riding. Cycling, and riding as well. Yes, How yeah. far did you ride? Oh, short, 40k. 45k. You should be fading away to a shadow at the amount of writing that you're doing. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, we've also got online today, and it's fantastic to have Caitlin Jankowitz uh, with us. Uh, uh, welcome, uh, Caitlin. It's great to have you there. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's really good to have Caitlin. It's good to see that our technology is actually working that well. Caitlin's a young uh, a young lady, and she's online from Adelaide from Avondale University College. Now I do have that correct, don't I, Caitlin? Yep. Okay. How are the studies going at the present time? Yeah, we've just started our new semester, so it's getting back into the routine. This is my last year, so I'm trying to get the most out of it. So this is your grad year this year? Yep. Okay. So so, so what are you actually studying? I'm studying secondary teaching. Secondary teaching and you've got a specialty in a yep. particular area? Yeah, I'm doing English and math. English and maths. Hey, that's, that, a, that's a different combination, isn't it? Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> that's actually a very, a very high demand in both those, both those areas. Now, of course, the reason that we've got Caitlin online with us today is to help us out with our World Watch segment. Now, Caitlin uh, is with us because she's just written her fantastic uh, little article in this month's edition of Science Magazine. It's actually entitled The Dark Side of Only Fans. Now, What's OnlyFans? Well, let me just share with you. Uh, OnlyFans was actually, a, it's a website that was launched in 2016 as a platform that allows explicit content. It takes uh, 20% of the uh, earnings uh, people pay to come onto the website and uh, about 20% of the earnings actually go to the website. People can earn money uh, from the other 80%. In April 2020, the pornography site, now this really blew me away when I realised this. In April 2020, which of course is when COVID struck, the pornography site uh, saw a 75% increase in sign-ups. Since that time, uh, the website is reporting 200,000 new users and 8,000 new creators every 24 hours. That is absolutely huge. Did 
Did you realise when you started your research, Caitlin, that the uh, numbers were that large? Well, I actually hadn't heard of OnlyFans before. Daniel, the editor, the assistant editor of Sons of the Times, asked me to write it, but it makes sense given that everyone was shut up in their homes and <laughs> didn't have that much to do, and also was a lot of people were losing income. Okay, and but yeah, I was I was surprised. <laughs> Well, I mean, these are absolutely huge numbers. David, what's what's your feeling? I mean, they're absolutely huge numbers, you know. 200,000 new users and 8,000 new creators of content every 24 hours. That's huge. Yeah, and I don't have the stats in front of me, Gary or Caitlin, but I know if you, if you did a search on the net for... Um the most uh, searched things, yes. pornography would be right up there. This, yeah. this is I, Caitlin, go on. So I just want to point out that OnlyFans, it's not, it wasn't specifically formed as a pornography website, and there is other creative content out there. It's just that porn is the most predominant thing. And that's so, certainly yes, that's, something... It, that's not the only thing on there. Yeah, and that's certainly something that your article does actually bring out. And that's actually a really important thing for us to actually uh, to actually realise. But um, I, I notice here in the Science magazine, and this isn't part of your particular article, uh, but it says research commissioned by the BBC says that a third of Twitter accounts were advertising the sale of underage naked photos and many were using only fans to distribute that same content now let me just share with our listeners if i can just the start of your article and then i'd just like to get some feedback from you if i can caitlin the the subscriber only website is best known for its amateur uh, pornography content But as people sell their naked photos for large sums of money, they're also selling themselves short. In March 2020, the world crumbled in the grip of COVID-19 as as shops and and cafes shut and workplaces closed their doors. Millions of people across the world found themselves jobless. Their steady income was gone and with it the ability to put a roof over their heads. However, in the wake of this destructive economic tsunami, one industry was booming. According to Media Play News, video streaming consumption in the United States doubled between March and August of 2020, with Forbes reporting Netflix added 25.8 million new users in the first six months of the year. But in the midst of this online viewing boom, a dark industry has quickly risen to disturbing heights. As more people lost jobs, women who, according to the National Women's Health Network, the pandemic affected disproportionately, began turning to online to the online sex industry in a way as a way to maintain economic stability. The Economist reported that due to the closing of the traditional sex work outlets, and with many people People being stuck at home in isolation, the demand for online pornography has soared. Unfortunately, we live in a world where sex and the degradation that comes with it sells and the internet is more than happy to oblige. In particular, the social media site OnlyFans, launched in 2016, has provided an easy and a, in brackets, safe way for industry amateurs to market themselves. Similar to popular uh, social media network Instagram, OnlyFans allows users to access their favourite content creators' pages, including photographs, 
videos, direct messages and video calls, albeit with an attached fee. Now, of course, we understand how this system uh, does does actually uh, work. But, Caitlin, let me come to you. What was it that inspired you to write about online porn? I mean, it's certainly an issue that is out there, but something must have, must have touched you to actually move and to, to write an article that's been printed in signs on this subject. Yeah, look, it's something that has been important to me for a long time. When I was in high school, a close friend opened up to me and told me that he had been addicted to pornography since he was 11 years old. So that's year six. And that really shocked and devastated me. And so after that, I had kind of more of an awareness. Yeah. But it really hit home to me when I was in a relationship with a guy who was addicted to pornography and I saw firsthand the damage that it did. So after that, that's when I became really passionate about spreading the awareness of the harmfulness of pornography and trying to just break the silence around it so that it becomes something that is acceptable to talk about so people who are trapped in the shame of an addiction feel like they can reach out and get some help. It certainly is something that is uh, incredibly... uh, It's rarely spoken about. Now, just let me just throw a question here to, to David. Now, David's our president here down in, in South Australia. Now, uh, David, tell me, do you think the church, I mean, the church particularly doesn't say anything on this particular issue. Um, do you think that that is a problem for the church? Yeah, and I believe you're meaning the Christian church. Yeah, I'll do the Christian yes. church in general, yes, yeah, yes. L- look, um, I guess throughout the centuries uh, there have been periods where sex and intimacy has been seen as a as sin, right? Um, and and or something that's you know only for conception, only having children, etc. Not yeah. a gift from God. So I guess the church is often viewed as antiquated in their views of of sexuality. Now, irrespective of where. Um, society has led. Um, that's often been the case. So, yeah, I guess the church has often been silent. Um, I guess there was this whole era where you wouldn't talk about this sort of thing, yeah, and yet sexuality yeah. is a gift from God, and every gift from God, as we know, has been perverted by Satan in one form or another. Yeah, yeah. And I think just with what Caitlin was saying before, Caitlin saying before that. Um, it's a shameful thing, pornography, isn't it? Um, someone could be addicted to prescription drugs and there would be a, an element of shame. Yeah. But it's those darkest um, addictions that uh, people are so fearful of opening up to and that's what makes them so... Well, this is something that good church people certainly don't do, isn't it? And so this is what makes it such in, so enslaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Caitlin, just clarify for us, though. How does porn impact its users? Well... From, I'm not a porn user, so I can't speak from experience. I can only speak from conversations I've had with close friends and experience in a relationship. But what I've seen is that it brings people into this cycle of slavery, really, to this external force, slavery to their computer, slavery to what they see online. And it's not just about the fact that they're enslaved, it's the changes that pornography actually brings onto the brain, especially when it's encountered before puberty. But uh, pornography rewires the brain to expect a really high level of stimulation. Mm-hmm. And often that isn't actually achievable through real sex. So watching porn 
can often lead to a decrease in the joy and effectiveness of real sex. And one thing that I've experienced particularly through my past relationship was that porn teaches people to see other people as objects, as a means to an end, as a resource. And it teaches people not to care about who they are as a person. Uh, that's it people to look that is actually really powerful, actually, you know, when, when you say that you, it teaches people to actually view others as objects uh, rather than as uh, individuals with, uh, with a personality. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's and, powerful. Yeah, can I just add, yeah. we've heard that phrase a lot. We've heard the phrase, it objectifies women, it objectifies people. But I think that we need a bit more. We need to talk about the fact that objectification basically means that you're replaceable. Like if you are an object, you're seen as an object, a girl-shaped object, it doesn't matter who you are as a person. It doesn't matter what your thoughts and emotions are. You're just an object. That is what objectification feels like and that's something that I don't think is talked about enough. Uh, that's, that, that's an excellent example. Thank you for that, Caitlin. That's really good. David's just trying to get in here. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I'm enjoying this conversation. I think then what, what follows from that is there is a, a loss of intimacy, isn't there? Yeah. 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 So, so it's it's a false form of intimacy. If even you probably can't even call it intimacy, but it's a false mm. form of the gift that God has given us. Mm. Mm. It's the purely physical side of intimacy, without the emotional connection, without the spiritual connection, without the intellectual connection. It's just it strips away all of the intimacy that comes from a real person and intensifies it. It's like purifying a drug, really, down yeah. to it like purest form it's just purely physical and that's that's really all there is yeah, yeah, and of course there's so much more and this is one of the, the beautiful things about the scriptures because what we see is the scriptures talk of humanity as being holistic, they're not just physical but the moment you treat a person as just a physical thing they become an object uh, and of course that depreciates uh, individuals in an incredibly powerful way uh, but look, David can I just come with come to you for a moment if I can because um, I'm just, I'd like to, a, a man's perspective on this one if I can you know from a bloke's perspective is it possible to avoid porn in the world in which we're living you know it's, it's just so pervasive particularly on the on the internet is it possible to avoid it yeah Caitlin might have the stats on this but you know I think by the age of 10 or something um, most young boys would have seen something on the yeah, internet yeah. so is it possible I think it's getting harder and harder um, to avoid it you know um I'm hardly ever on Facebook and um, maybe once a week and uh, every now and again there's a new friend request and it's a scantily clad female from goodness knows where, you know what I mean? Yeah, so you yeah. block that sort of thing. So uh, maybe the question is, um, you know, and there are certainly things you can put filters on your computers for safe mm. searches, mm. all these sorts of things. I, I think the thing is not to not to go searching uh, and if something ever pops up for whatever reason that, that you close it, you, you don't want to be dwelling on on things. This is when temptation begins, and if you dwell on it, it's uh, it's a hook. 
Fantastic. Caitlin, do you have any, any, I know that you can't talk from a man's perspective, but, uh, you know, is this something, I'm, I suppose one question I would like actually to put to you as, as a lady, if you're, uh, if you're prepared to take this one on, do you think that viewing porn is a, a bloke only problem or, or do you think that, uh, porn has now impacting women? And I'm talking from a viewing perspective rather than from the production yeah. perspective. Do you think that, uh, this is becoming more of an issue for, for women as well as men? Absolutely. In a 2018 study, it was reported that 92% of men and 60% of women consume pornography. So it's definitely not a guy-only issue. And the problem, actually, there is a problem with this because it gives the perception that it's only a guy problem. So any girl who is struggling with a porn addiction often feels very alone and very ashamed. It's like, oh, this is a guy problem. Why do I have this problem? Mm. And so I think it's important to actually be aware that it is actually on the rise among women and there are women who I know who have also struggled with it and they struggle with feeling alone because it's known as a guy's problem. Wow, yeah, yeah. No, thank you yeah. for that. I I think that that's something really important that we do actually realise that this is something that has become a, a community issue uh, rather than just a, a guy issue. Certainly it's more, I would suggest, a guy issue, uh, but certainly I am conscious of uh, ladies too who are uh, getting tied up in this whole uh, this whole area. Uh, David? So, so I think accountability is a very important thing. Right. And, you know, we've got... Um well, I guess very young teenagers, but, you know, no computer in the bedroom. Um, you know, I, I guess training and educating. Um, but, but, yeah, it's accountability even for adults, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Caitlin, do you have Can any... Can I just add? Sure. Sorry. Yeah. Can I just add that often kids who are encountering porn have no idea what it is and they're curious and they're driven by curiosity, they're driven by how their body reacts to what they're seeing. It's a really confusing thing for kids. Mm-hmm. So they can often get stuck in it in the shame of it because they have they know what they're doing is wrong, but they don't know why, and they didn't know about it ahead of time, and they don't know that it's bad until too late. So it's just so important that parents talk to their kids about porn because my, my first encounter with porn, I was six, and I was looking up ballet slippers and tutus because I was in the six-year-old girl obsessed with ballet face. But that was that's what I was looking up, and that's when I encountered porn for the first time. So don't be fooled into thinking, oh, my kid is too young, because that's what happens. And this was... Um, this is a huge. This ago, is a huge. Happened. This is a huge it's challenge, uh, Caitlin, for us because I'm conscious that in certainly in my era. I mean, I'm I'm an old bloke now, but of course the internet wasn't around when I was uh, was growing up, and I can I can well remember my first encounter with porn. But it was in the uh, it was in the boys' locker room. It was my senior years of, yep. uh, of high school, and somebody, uh, one of the boys, had been able to uh, find a a. Playboy magazine, and of course that did the rounds. But by that stage, I was certainly in, I think, year ten or eleven at at high school. I had never encountered it uh, before that particular uh, time. And you know, it's, things are so different now, aren't they? Yeah, in this day and age, it's very much a case of not if your child will encounter porn on the internet, but when. Okay. And often, if sex ed isn't sufficient at home or at school, then kids will turn to the internet for answers. Okay, okay. Uh, tell me, 
How do we protect ourselves, though, against this particular? Uh, I mean, this is a, an incredible evil. It depreciates uh, our ladies. Uh, it's uh, it's changing the thinking processes of our men. Uh, it's really impacting our society. How do we go about uh, guarding ourselves from uh, this this type of perversion? I think that a really good place to start is education and awareness. I think that if kids are talking with their parents about issues of sexuality, then if they encounter porn, then they will be comfortable talking to their parents about it. And it won't then fester and become this really deep, shameful thing that they have to live with. As for older kids and adults, I think you have to be aware of what situations you put yourself in, what you choose to watch, and be willing to turn off Netflix, if something comes up that you know you shouldn't be watching and just be aware of the consequences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ahead of time. David? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, we need to guard our eyes, our mouths, our hands, our feet, our ears. And uh, Romans 12 comes to mind, you know, 12 to um, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we will be transformed either by a relationship with God or by what we take in in other ways. In fact, it it really is only as the Holy Spirit works on our mind that a, a transformation is able to be possible, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No. Look, folks, it's Caitlin, yeah, please, we do need to finish this particular section, but uh, please, just uh, a closing thought. Yeah, the last thing I would say is if you are struggling with a porn addiction, please don't be afraid to get help. There are resources through the Adventist Church. It's called Gateway to Wholeness. It's series of eight videos that can help work through the addiction. The site Fight the New Drug also has a lot of resources and counselling is always a really good option. Are, so, they have, are those are videos available online? Yes, they are. GatewayToWholeness.com, I think. Okay, so gatewaytoholeness.com. So uh, if any of our listeners would like to have a look at that, uh, that's an anonymous. I don't think people have to sign in for that, do they? No. Yeah, okay. Look, Caitlin, really do appreciate the article and I appreciate the way that you, uh, you finish, uh, you finish off. The rise of OnlyFans is clearly a reflection of the moral compass of our society. However, our individual actions are part of society. And if a change is to happen, it needs to start with us. I really appreciate that conclusion. Now, uh, folks, can I just share with you this uh, month's, this is, uh, this, uh, Caitlin's article is in this month's, uh, Signs Magazine. That's the March edition. Now, look, if you would like a copy, there's uh, some really fantastic articles in this, uh, this month's Signs Magazine. In fact, can I say it's probably one of the best that I have seen come out in, uh, in recent times. It deals not just with this, uh, with this issue, uh, but it also deals with a number of other very significant issues. These are worth sharing this particular uh, month's edition of Science Magazine. If you would like a copy, I'm happy to send you a copy uh, of uh, of this magazine. You might like to share it with somebody somebody else. Now look, if you would like a copy, uh, please text your name, your address and your phone number to our studio text number. That's 04888 808 11. That's 04 a triple eight 
808 11 and uh, just simply say Signs Magazine and I will forward that to you. So that's your name, your address, your telephone number to 04888 808 11 and uh, I'll forward you a a copy of this month's Science Magazine. I believe you will richly, uh, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, right now, let's come uh, to some music. Uh, this is uh, Bethany Dillon, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Deep, 
uh, the Father's love uh, for us. And now, look, guys, just uh, a couple of things I'd just love to be able to share with you. We've got a number of offers uh, on uh, online today. And now, we're uh, commencing uh, this weekend. Uh, for those of you here in Adelaide, I'd love to be able to meet you personally. Uh, I'm running a program over the entire next week. It's going to be an exhausting week, but it's going to be a good week. Uh, the program's entitled The Bible, The End Times, and The Gospel's Climax. Now, we're going to be commencing this Saturday at 11 o'clock at the Prospect uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, and that's a meal, that's uh, um, Bolville Street uh, Prospect. And uh, we would love to have you there. Uh, we're going to be dealing with things like the end times and the gospel's climax. We're going to look at uh, judgment and justice making and why humanity can't do it. We're going to look at creation and evolution and how creation and evolution, how evolution has undermined the gospel. Uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, the uh, God and the reality of religious confusion in the world that we live. Then we're going to ask, is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? And then we're going to look at true and false worship. Are there many paths to one heaven? And then we're going to, we're going to cover so much uh, ground in this next week. If you'd like to come and join with us, uh, the opening meeting is 11 o'clock this Saturday at the Prospect Seventh Day Adventist Church. And, uh, that's in Bolval Street, uh, here in Prospect. Now that's particularly for those of you who are here in Adelaide. I'd love to be able to meet you and meet you personally. We've already got a number of people who have indicated they're coming to join us. Uh, but please, um, if, uh, if you're not doing anything this weekend or even if you are, why not cancel it and come and, and join with us? Now, of course, our other free gift, uh, for all our listeners is, uh, uh, is the Signs magazine that we've been talking about. Now, David, just tell us, you're familiar with the Signs magazine? Yes, I am. This is a great little magazine magazine um the itch issue we're talking about is the march issue and it's it's basically like a reader's digest magazine but from a christian perspective yeah. that's probably a simple way of of, of talking about it and we want to ask our listeners invite our listeners to receive your free copy of this month's signs magazine um with the key story like we've just talked about with caitlin uh you need to dial you need to sms zero four triple eight eight oh eight Double one, SMS 04888808811. That's fair. And that, and, and we would love, and with your, and that's with your name, your address, your telephone number, and just put signs there being the code word so we know exactly what offer it is that you're, that you're looking for. But I believe you'll richly, you'll greatly appreciate, uh, this month's, uh, signs, uh, magazine. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. And this week we're taking as our theme the moral law in the third millennium and today we're asking how did christ regard the moral law you know david it's one of those troubling issues that i suppose i've encountered all through my ministry how relevant the question goes is the moral law you know that's the the ten commandments in a post-biblical world aren't those who still talk about the uh, the moral law really on the wrong end of history. But what did what did Christ teach on this whole issue of 
moral law and law in general even? I mean, this is a big and a huge question. And what's more, David, you've got 10 minutes less than you normally have uh, to share with us today. So, And we really need an hour or two, we don't we, do to indeed. this? It's interesting. Uh, people arc up and kick back against the biblical laws and, you know, the Ten Commandments and the other laws in Scripture. And yet when you go to a tennis match, we've just had the Australian Open recently in Melbourne. Um, uh, hello to our fans and our, our listeners in Melbourne. Does anyone watch tennis? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really like tennis, but I know people that do. But, um, yeah, I mean, you've got laws in tennis, right? Indeed. Now, if they were removed or some of them, was, if we said these are our archaic, let's not have laws, what would happen? Uh, immediately there'd be uproar. The whole place would go fall into disarray. And that's a game. And yet when we talk about the laws of life, the laws of the universe, the laws from our Heavenly Father, when we try and minimise or negate or get around or say that they're for, uh, you know, some decades past... You know, we're messing with, with, with what God has created. Yeah. So let's yeah. dive straight in, Gary, and, and you better wind us up when we need to wind up, eh? We will. I just want to give a, a bit of a, a setting. Um, Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, it's, it's from David, and he says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So... David, this incredible psalmist and king, a man after God's own heart, says that the law of God is perfect. Mm. Um, God's laws are comprehensive. Solomon, the wisest man that has ever said to have lived, he, he finishes his book and ends his book, Ecclesiastes, with this comment. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And you know, David, that book of Ecclesiastes, in, once upon a time, it was actually my favorite book in the Bible because it's a book that actually talks about, uh, it's a, it's a book of life history. Solomon is telling his story. And what you, you, what you find is this beautiful picture where Solomon is walking with God, but then through his life, he moves away from the Lord. He walks a long way. In fact, I, I think he marries five, six hundred uh, wives uh, as a couple con- hundred concubines. concubines. I mean, this, he, Moves so far from God, you, you you wouldn't believe. But then, towards the end of his life, he actually comes back, and it's when he comes back to God. What we find is he actually writes the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a life experience. He sums it all up, doesn't he? That the whole duty of man is is to keep the commandments of God. Now, it's interesting because Solomon is saying that God's law is all-encompassing. So when we come to Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, uh, we have Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus also considers... God's laws, and and I'll talk specifically here of the Ten Commandments, as all-encompassing. Jesus said to him, Matthew 22, 37-40, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is talking to this rich young man. Who, who comes to Jesus and um, he's, he's asked about, um, actually it's, it's a lawyer that comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus which is the greatest commandment. And Jesus is basically saying we need to love God with all of our heart. That's the first one. And the second one is to love our neighbor, other human beings as ourselves. So this is all encompassing. And he's, God's really, Jesus is talking here about the Ten Commandments. And he draws these, these two commandments from the Old Testament from from the first five books of Scripture. So Jesus is saying that 
the law of God encompasses every encounter and aspect of humanity, a relationship with God and relationship with fellow human beings. Mm, wow. Now, we can ignore it, but we cannot escape it. Okay, okay, and that is so true even for the, the law of the land, isn't it? You know, we can ignore it if we want to, but we can't escape it. Absolutely. And so when we begin to realize that, that God's law, his Ten Commandments are the basis for his government, mm. the foundation for his government, that, that enlightens us even more. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Now, God's law is righteous and it's justice and it also gives mercy. Um, the Ten Commandments, I guess, in essence, are a reflection of God's character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible says, the commandments say, you should not steal. Yeah. Why is that? Because God is a God who values giving, not to lie. Why is that? Because God is a God who values truth. Mm. Uh, we shall not kill. Why is that? Because God is a God who values life. Mm. Uh, you know, and on and on, a God of purity. So he says, don't commit adultery. Mm. So the Ten Commandments are really the essence and the heart of God's character, which therefore means that they are enduring. Okay. Okay, but, but look, let's come to the time of Christ if we can into in, into the New Testament because I'm so conscious that our time's starting to get get away from us here. And when we when we look in the New Testament, I mean, how did Christ regard this thing? I mean, we are Christians, we are followers of Christ. How did Christ regard this thing called the law? Okay, so let's go to Matthew chapter 5 again, and um, we're going to pull apart a few verses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 17. And Jesus, uh, this is in this famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. So when he talks about the law and the prophets, he's really talking about the first five books of of the Old Testament and all the rest of the ancient Old Testament scriptures. Okay, but Christ there did say that he didn't come to destroy it, but rather to fulfill it. Now, I mean, some would argue that that means that the, he's actually fulfilled the law, therefore it's been done away with. So therefore it can be forgotten, correct? Correct. That's what some people think. Yes, yes. But it's interesting, that Greek word, uh, fulfill, a playro, uh, that's, it's the Greek word, and it actually means to give the true and complete meaning to something. So when Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, he is really saying, I have come to give true meaning and to give completeness and complete meaning to something. He comes to fill it up. He comes to, to, to give the perfect example. Okay. And, and we can tell this by the immediate context because, um, if he did away with the law, if it was already complete and that was it, then we have a problem with the very next verse. Matthew 5 verse 18. And that says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. So what Jesus is saying, he is saying uh, the law of the scriptures and also referring to the specific laws, they will be in play until heaven and earth pass away. And he says not one jot or one tittle. Now, the jot was the smallest Greek letter. Mm-hmm. And the tittle was one of the smallest projections on a Hebrew letter. So Jesus is saying not even the smallest element of, of God's law will, will be done away with. 
Okay, and yet, David, I'm really conscious that, you know, on many occasions Christ did um, criticize the religious leaders because of their, uh, what would we say, their their legalism? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So before we, I want to read one more verse and then we'll deal with that. Okay, okay. Uh, Matthew five nineteen, the very next verse, uh, Jesus says, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, hey, even the smallest part of scripture or the law of God, if, if you, if you try and mess with it, then, um, you'll be least. He then goes on in Matthew 5 and he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Mm. The physical act. Now, mm. you and I have never done that. Uh, don't tell me you have, right? <laughs> We've never done it, correct? We've, correct. And yet Jesus says, but if you've looked at a woman lustfully, if you've taken that second look, or a man, if you're a woman, then you've already committed the act. He says, you know, you've heard that it was said you should not murder, but I tell you that if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder. In other words, what Christ is actually doing is amplifying the law rather than doing away with it. Because, I mean, hey, I mean, I'm a person, I mean, I can very proudly put up my hand and say, hey, I've never committed adultery. I've never jumped into bed with a, a, a person who is not my wife, but can I say the same thing about, you know, the the eye and, you know, looking at a woman lustfully. Well, Sin I'm, begins I'm, in the heart, uh, doesn't symbol- it? This is something that I look at and I say, hey, you know, this is something that I, at that point, I stand condemned and guilty at that particular point. And this is why in Matthew five seventeen, where Jesus says he came to fulfill the law, what's he doing here? When he says, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery, he is saying that he has come. The fulfilling of the law is to give the true and complete meaning. Yeah. So he is saying it's more than just an extra external act it is sin is something that begins within and Mm. and that's what the law is talking to the whole of the person so you then ask me the religious leaders got upset with jesus ah the religious leaders they got upset with jesus because he was uh he was breaking uh, law uh he was um uh in fact he called them legalistic uh, for their following the law. I mean, what's actually going on here? I mean, on the one hand, Christ is teaching law, but on the other hand, he's condemning the religious leaders for being legalistic. So let's give one or two examples of that, and then we'll give the sure. rationale behind that. It's interesting, there is at least seven miracles that Jesus does on the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath was this holy and sacred day, and Jesus copped lots of flack, and he from the religious leaders, and he responded. Mm-hmm. So let's look at uh, one or two examples of that. Um, Luke fourteen one to six. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. Now they they are the people, the religious people. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, this illness. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders saying, mm-hmm. is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent and he took this man and healed him and let him go. Then he answered, Jesus answered these religious leaders saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? 
and they could not answer him regarding these things. So here are Jewish religious leaders that have this, God has given this gift not just to Jews but to the entire human race, the gift of the Sabbath, mm-hmm. one day in time, the seventh day, a day of worship, a day of rest, a day of fellowship, a day to reflect on God as our creator, God as our redeemer. And Jesus is saying to these religious leaders that have put fences around the law and built a whole series of laws to protect God's Ten Commandments, and other laws, um, he's saying, look, if you have an animal that is going to make you money in mm-hmm. agriculturally mm-hmm. in the field, it falls into a ditch, you'll pull it out on the Sabbath. Yeah. But here is a man that has been suffering for years and you don't want him healed on the Sabbath. And we have a number of situations like this in, in Luke 13. There is a woman that has um, been crippled and bent over for 18 years. And Jesus knows that this has come from Satan and he heals her and he's in the synagogue when he heals her and the the religious leaders are indignant and Jesus says um, says to this ruler that questions him because he healed on the Sabbath, he says, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries, in other words, the religious leaders, Mm -hmm. were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. Often when we read about these healings on the Sabbath, um, you find that the religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. yeah. Now, it's interesting, in Mark chapter 7, you have this story um, where the um, scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and saying, hey, your disciples washed with, uh, sorry, eat with unwashed hands. The, the Pharisees and religious people had all of these additional rules. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it is said that um, uh, in, in the first five books of Moses, there were about 613 laws that were given to God's people. Mm-hmm. Now, those laws have, um, you know, some of them are health laws, some of them are uh, hygiene related, some of them are uh, relating to sacrifices and offerings and gifts, uh, some of them are relating to uh, civil uh, situations, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, um, if, if your ox... Uh, if so what we could say is that you actually have different categories of law, and when we're talking in the New Testament, we have to be really conscious of what category of law is actually being spoken about, because in the Old Testament, you've got this thing called the moral law, which is really the, the constitution of Israel, and of course that's written with the finger of God, it's put in the middle of the ark, but then you've got a whole pile of other, you've got ceremonial laws, you've got health laws, uh, you've got uh, laws to, to govern the people of Israel uh, during uh, their time as a theocracy. Where they didn't have an earthly government or king. And so one of those things, for instance, like some of those uh, laws under a theocracy, um, if a man died... Um, and he hadn't produced any offspring, was called the Leveret system. Well, his brother had to uh, sleep with uh, the widow to produce an heir that would then take the deceased uh, deceased place and, and there would be a, a lineage, if you like. Yeah. Now, we don't practice that anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So God gave these laws in an environment that, um, uh, didn't have welfare systems, didn't have any of these sorts of things, but uh, they had their, they had their place and the principle is, uh, some principles are still there for some of these things. Yeah. But that was under a theocracy. Yeah. 
the health laws. Um, uh, you know, there was laws on quarantine with leprosy and things like that. And, you know, it's quite remarkable when you think of the, uh, the, the laws on quarantine. You know, a leper is a person who needs to be put outside the camp. You know, to this day, we still practice this quarantine a principle because we recognize the value of it uh, it's something that can flows over from the days of ancient israel absolutely a human bodily waste will dig a hole and bury it so there are lots of laws now there were laws with sacrifice and animals and these were basically pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ himself. They were instituted, if you like, at Eden when God made clothes from uh, um, coverings for Adam and Eve from uh, animals. And these were, of course, were the ones that were done away with at the cross because they pointed forward, the Lamb pointed forward to the death of the Lamb of God on the cross. Absolutely. So they were fulfilled in the uh, death of Jesus on the cross and there were feast days as well that, that were completed there. And and that's why in Matthew, I think it's 27, when Jesus dies on the cross and says it is finished, there is this great earthquake and the curtain in the temple between the, uh, the two apartments, between the holy place and the most holy where the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence uh, was was to be, that was ripped from top to bottom, signifying that there no longer was a barrier, um, an earthly barrier that it had been fulfilled, and now there is a temple in heaven. Now Jesus, who would uh, raise from the dead, would be in heaven, the sanctuary in heaven. This is so, why Paul is able to say in Hebrews that let us come boldly to the throne of grace, because where is no, no longer that curtain that is dividing no us. No longer the fear, because we go through Jesus. So a lot of these laws in the Old Testament, or aspects of the law, were fulfilled at the cross, but others were not. Clean and unclean food. Uh, the cross of Jesus doesn't make a, a pig, if you like, doesn't make something that the Bible considers unclean, clean. It makes humans mm. clean, but it doesn't make the, the animal clean. Mm. Yeah, that's, for, for that, that's really important because that's, uh, and there's, I think there's some really uh, powerful uh, evidence as to why uh, that is actually the case. But that's the discussion for another day. Uh, David, uh, I'm conscious that our time is starting to run away from us. Look, let's just come to a little bit of music. This is Carly Fletcher, uh, Follow the Lamb. We will keep the commandments of God Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ With patient endurance and faith We will follow, follow the Lamb We will follow the Lamb Wherever He goes Walking in the light on His narrow
And that was Carly Fletcher, Follow uh, the Lamb, a really beautiful song. Now, of course, today our free offer to you is that Signs magazine. Uh, we had uh, on uh, on with us just uh, a little while ago, uh, we had... Um, um, Caitlin Jankowitz, uh, with us. And that was really appreciated what she had to, sh- what she had to share. Uh, she, uh, has written an article, uh, the dark side, uh, of the whole, uh, pornography issue. And, uh, I believe you'll really appreciate this particular magazine. If you'd like a copy of the Signs magazine, that's the March edition, just text your name, your address, uh, your telephone number to, uh, uh, to us here at the, at the studio. That number again is 04888 Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. And this week we're taking as our theme the moral law in the third millennium. Uh, and today we're asking, how did Christ regard the moral law? But David, look, I'm conscious our time is really starting to run away uh, from us on this one today. That early discussion took a little bit longer than what we were what we were planning. But look, tell me something. The principles of the moral law, I mean, the moral law is certainly what we call the Ten Commandments. The, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. And these are, are principles that have guided society successfully for millennia. And to me, certainly since the days of Christ, certainly in the Jewish nation, it guided, it guided them. Uh, you know, it, they're really the principles of, of a family. Now, the question is, though, how do I teach the principles of moral law to my children? I mean, it's in the world in which I'm living today, I'm just so conscious that, you know, there are so many people that are going off the rails. Mm. How do I pass on these principles? Good question, Gary. So I believe the law of God, that say the Ten Commandments, if you like, um, provides us with safety and guidelines to, with which to work with, and they provide us health and safety. Mm-hmm. So we need to frame them in a positive way. Way. Often it's, oh, thou shalt not. Well, that's not really what it's saying. Yeah. Um, so two things. Uh, Joshua 4, the crossing of the Jordan, God's people going over into Canaan, the promised land. When they crossed over this river that had been flooded, uh, there were 12 stones, one from each tribe, which tribe which had to be picked up, carried out, and make a memorial so that children to come could be told about what had happened and what God had done. When we go to um, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 5, we've got the retelling of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 6, you've got this famous passage which is often referred to as as part of what's called the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But then, the little bit that I think is relevant for families, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's he saying? What's God saying through Moses? He's saying when it comes to teaching young people, always have it before you. Look for ways where you can describe how God's law is 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 a blessing. Remind them of God's leading. Remind them that they are there to protect us and continually tell and retell in different ways to children. In other words, what is actually important to me 
my children can actually tell you know if if in fact you know the uh, you know the entertainment industry is the most important thing to me our kids can actually recognize this i know that you know i'm i'm aware of one or two families that i've had to work with who have really been addicted to the whole video gaming thing mm. and that became the number one thing in their in their life now you know an occasional video game obviously it may not be a a, a problem but i'm so conscious that uh, you know if in fact there's nothing else to balance out that video gaming, it can actually become incredibly detrimental uh, to our lives. All-consuming, can't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is uh, this is very – thank you so much for what you just shared there, Dave, because I think that is really heart and core of, of everything, you know, uh, that we're saying. What we pass on, what we live is actually what we're going to pass on. And uh, continually reminding. And continually reminding. David, look, I'm really wondering – how would you like to just have finish with prayer and particularly pray for the um, uh, for the parents uh, of children who might be listening to us because and and for their children as well because I'm conscious you know we've spoken about uh, the uh, issue of online pornography earlier in our program uh, now we're talking about passing on the moral law you know I'm really conscious that parents have a hard job in bringing up children today. And would you just pray for our, for our parents and also for their children? Lord, we just come before you. We recognize the value that and the love and the care and concern you had on young children, Lord. And you said that it would be far, uh, far better for a millstone to be put around the neck and someone thrown into the ocean for someone who, who messed with children and, and who, who, who detracted from them. Lord, we just want to pray for the parents and the families as they raise children in a world that has so many pulls and, and grabs. Father, we pray for the young people and the young children of families and those in their teenage years, Lord, when there are so many uh, things um, vying for their attention, when they're learning about who they are. Father, we pray for their protection. We pray for open and honest conversations in families, Lord. We pray for the parents as well, that we may be examples, Lord, that we may reflect your character, that you might write your law on our hearts. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray spend the entire time looking at the question, does the New Testament do away with law? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you 